0: What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is October the 26th, 2020. This is episode 38 of the Matt Bernier Show be going over a few different things. First things first though, however you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Please rate, review, and subscribe if you're over on Apple Podcasts or in moneypodcast.com or your Android device, however you listen. Thank you for doing so. Please make sure that you subscribe and you give us some sort of a rating or however it is on whatever you're listening to. Uh, if you're over on YouTube, up in that search bar, all you need to do, type Matt Berner, your Show, this episode along with the 37 prior will pop up if you are on YouTube make sure you subscribe to the in the money channel make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded or if you are involved and you leave a comment someone who responds to it you'll get a notification saying that there was a response to your comment which is pertinent in regards to last week's show which we'll dive into that more momentarily and again you can follow me on Twitter you know where to find that at this point so uh, for this week's show, we will start off discussing last week as far as the Breeders' Cup feature is concerned. We will transition into this week's Friday feature with Trish Smith. Looking forward to chatting with her, talking about the ninth race from Churchill Downs on Friday afternoon. Nice group of older horses put together going a mile on an eighth on the main track. And then I'll wrap up this week with, I guess you could just call them observations. And I don't know if anyone's going to really find some serious sort of information in there that they're going to use to perhaps sort of cater to their, their handicapping and their, their sort of game plan for the breeders cup coming up next weekend, not this coming weekend, the following weekend down at Keeneland. Um, I went through the 10 most recent breeders cups and I went through and, and took a look at where the horses ran in their most recent start, what kind of price they were and where they were positioned throughout the run for each of the divisions. So I will again be showing you a spreadsheet. It's not a giant one, doesn't need to be. There's only 10 data points for each of the races. Um, And I think it's just, if nothing else, it's interesting. They're historical data points. I think you can find a little bit of information there, though. I think there is something to certain races, certain divisions, running styles being important in some of them. Uh, Some of the races yielding wild results and things of that nature. So again, maybe you won't find anything that's going to just be like sort of, you know, groundbreaking, earth-shattering sort of stuff. But I did the exercise over the weekend and I thought it was, I think it's valuable enough. And it, it, luckily for me, I feel like it has reinforced some of my opinions going into it. And and perhaps it'll make me sort of reconsider some things. So uh, we'll dive into that for the back part of the episode. But first things first, let's talk about the Breeders' Cup feature. That is the idea. For those of you that missed last week's show, uh, you know, my buddy Mike Mutnanski and myself will be doing a video for RacingPicks.com coming up this week, and it will be a very early look ahead to the Breeders' Cup, and the idea is a favorite that we like, a favorite that we don't like, and a price that we like in any of the races over the two days in the 14 World Championships. I kind of wanted to use that for this show, but with all of you, the listeners, and the viewers, because not only have you all been here for for a while, but I feel like it's it's a good way to pull off a Friday feature, Saturday feature, whatever you want to call it, kind of segment for next week's pod, but using all of you. Now, I had initially said 10 to 15. I believe we had over 35 folks say they wanted to be involved. I appreciate all of you getting involved and asking and, and putting your name in the hat. Unfortunately, we can't use all of them. Uh, Simply because the episode would be just just a a monster and producer Craig's got a bunch of other stuff on his plate So we need to try to cater to a couple different things. I went through and took the first 20 the first 20 folks who went into the comment section and wrote Breeders Cup feature They will be the 20 folks who I will be taking video submissions from now again given the time and given the added sort of uh, number of folks who are involved in this, one to two minutes max. Two minutes max, hopefully more than a minute. A video, it can be on your computer, it can be on your iPad, your iPhone, uh, your tablet, whatever you use. A favorite you wanna back, a favorite you wanna fade, and a longer price or a price that you're interested in over the two days of the Breeders' Cup and I recognize no one's going to hold it against you, like I said last week. Nobody's going to hold it against you if something happens between now and then and, and whatever, your horses don't run or, or whatever the case may be. There's still a lot of time and pre-entries aren't even out yet. But given the timing of things, we kind of need to do it this way. So this needs to be in this week. I'm going to say the deadline will be, let's let's plan on Friday at 11 a.m., East Coast time. That would be Friday, what is Friday's date? The 30th? Friday, October 30th, 11 a.m. Eastern. I have already gone through and left comments beneath the first 20 people, but I will actually rattle these names off right now. You need to send me your little video clip with the favorite you like, the favorite you don't like, and the price you like. By Friday morning, October the 30th, this Friday, at 11 a.m. Because then I need to get those over to producer Craig. and He's got to work his magic, throw it all together, and voila. That will be next Monday's podcast. That will be the podcast for this specific show. The dedicated show, the Matt Bernier show. For the Breeders' Cup. I will also have an episode with PTF and with JK going over the Breeders' Cup as a whole. That'll probably be just sort of a standard joint that we've done in the past. Uh, this show, the Matt Bernier Show, along with the In the Money Players podcast. So that'll be coming out next week as well. But for this specific show, let's call it the Monday Show, uh, it will be all of you and all of your opinions and your thoughts and things like that. And I'm hopeful people really get it, uh, get something out of it because I think it's a, I think it's a fun idea. And I've liked the Friday feature. I think it's been a great sort of addition to the the program, and uh, I hope this continues on with it for the Breeders' Cup. So, here are the 20 names. Again, I've left the comment with the email address that you need to email your video clip to. Some of you have already gone down this path before because some of you have been guests on the Friday feature, so this isn't gonna be anything wild for you. Some of you have not, and I'm excited to see and hear what you have to say. So, here we go. Uh, Peter Appleby, Tom Espinoza, William Campion, Steve Mercica, Jeff O'Reilly, Robert Daisley, Nancy Moran, Jerry Richman, Tommy Seafeld, Brian Shields, Manning Carroll, John Peruso, Travis Walker, Andrew Morish, Kevin Breen, Jared Schledorn, Schledorn, Matthew Sargent, Mike Anderson, Mike Robinson, Nick Kettinger. There are your 20 names, again. in that going back to last week's episode, if you for whatever reason don't have the bell icon lit up, I've left the comment beneath each one of those with the email address that you need to email your one to two minute video clip with the favorite you like, the favorite you don't like, and the price for the Breeders' Cup. It needs to be in by Friday morning, this Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern. I can't take them any later than that because I got to get them over to Craig. So. You have a few days now, fair enough time, fair enough warning to get stuff out there. And again, just, just roll with it. Don't worry about how polished it is or anything like that. I've, I've heard from other folks who it's their first time coming on, you know, or they don't really do this sort of thing. They don't talk about it too, too much as far as like a camera is concerned. Just roll with it. We're just BSing. We're, we're, at, we're sitting out back at the picnic tables, we're at the bar, we're at the racetrack. We're just going back and forth spitballing with horses you like and horses you don't like and why. But that is the critical piece. I at least need a little bit of of reasoning. I'm not asking you for a novel. I just need a little bit of reasoning why you do and don't like certain horses for those three pieces. Again, one to two minutes. Can't go any more than that, and I would prefer to go a little bit longer than one minute. So there you have it. Those are the 20 folks who will be involved in next Monday's show. And actually, it might come out earlier than that, but probably not. I'll talk to producer Craig. But the point is, have those things in here Friday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern. No later than that. We need to get those going. So uh, looking forward to seeing what everybody puts together. Now, we have an immediate Friday feature coming up. We have Trish Smith to help us out. We're going to talk about Churchill Downs race number nine on Friday afternoon, a mile and an eighth on the main track. Let's go to the Friday feature. And then after that, we'll talk about some sort of historical pieces as far as the past 10 Breeders Cups are concerned. Friday feature time and happy to have Trish Smith on board as a guest. She was the winner of the most recent Friday feature that we did. Obviously, last week was a little bit of an oddity given the the timing of things. But Trish, thank you for doing this. I understand you're relatively new to the game and for everybody watching and listening. How about you just kind of give us a little bit of background and and, uh, we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Matt. Greatly appreciate it. And my name is Trish Smith. I'm originally from Illinois. And even as a little girl, I remember Zenyatta was kind of the horse that got me I was a fan of racing and just watching Zenyatta perform. I think her Breeders' Cup Classic was the first one that I watched. And she just kind of made me a fan. And from there, I moved down to Lexington, Kentucky, um, to go to University of Kentucky. And that was my first time actually at the race track at Keeneland. So I, I went to a lot of races. Um, it was more of the social aspect in college. Um, anybody who's been to Keeneland tailgating and stuff. But it wasn't until um, back in March. Unfortunately, I lost my job due to COVID and I started, I I really needed a hobby because I've always kind of been a little bit of a busybody, and I just kind of went down a rabbit hole one day. I found your show on YouTube, DRF, and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to try to get into horse camp handicapping, and really, and I watched the Keeneland meet online, but it wasn't until the Oaks this year that I actually decided to kind of start playing, like, pick sixes, pick fives. I knew what they were, but most of the time when I would bet at Keeneland, it was just a little bit of, you know, just fun money going out to the racetrack with friends, so.
0: Now, when you would go to Keeneland, for for the folks who, obviously the folks that have been there already know about this, but there's an entire tailgating area called the hill if you don't go into the track. Now, were you more of a a fan of the hill or were you someone who would actually go into the track and, and sort of post up by the rail?
1: Oh, I love to post up by the rail. I, I definitely was always because even though I wasn't, I, I didn't know that much about the form. I mean, I knew enough like trifectas. I, I knew a little bit about gambling, but never actually trying to handicap it. But I was definitely always at the track just because I loved watching the horses in the paddock and still do. I, I still really like that to be a part of my handicapping as well
0: now you visited keeneland i would imagine uh, still being in kentucky have you made the trek to churchill downs at any point thus far
1: oh yes yes yeah i went to i think 2014 and 2015 those were my first two derbies so california chrome and then american pharaoh so not not too bad i was gonna say you
0: you saw a couple of good ones
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to um, when it was at Keeneland last uh, 2015. I saw um, American Pharoah win the Breeders' Cup Classic too. So that was definitely definitely good timing. Yeah, I
0: was gonna say you've had a pretty good run here. I can I can say the same because I feel like if you're bringing up Zenyatta sort of being a a horse that you were a fan of and kind of getting involved, that was relatively the similar time frame for me where I didn't really start going all in until. Probably about 2009, so when Rachel was doing her thing on the East Coast and Yada was doing her thing on the West Coast, uh, that was obviously the year that she won the Classic out at Santa Anita. So time-wise, I think you and I are more or less on the same page as far as our fandom is concerned and just kind of checking different things out. Have you found over time, early on anyway, from a handicapping standpoint, that there are certain tracks... That you may have a preference for is it as simple as because keeneland is the local track i mean i know plenty of people in new york who it's new york and they don't care about anything else that goes on outside of the breeders cup i mean are you someone who just you prefer sort of the local tracks and then whatever else happens happens or are you open to kind of looking around
1: Um, I'm definitely open to looking around, I will say, especially for someone who doesn't have like the past performances and stuff, I don't have any subscription services, I kind of tend to go where the bigger meets are just because it's easier to find a YouTube race of the big races, you can easily pull up the week before people talking about the Breeders' Cup about the Oaks, whereas like day to day handicapping for you know a random track it's a little bit harder to find uh, if you're not um subscribing to a service or anything like that but definitely so far I would say Keeneland just because I'm it's right in my backyard used to it a little bit of Churchill Downs following um I watched Kentucky Downs too for the first time but handicap I I just wanted to watch the first day I was like okay this, I'm not even gonna try to handicap this I, look I'll tell
0: you what I, I've It's been a few years now that I've really been looking at Kentucky Downs and it's still as clear as mud. So I don't, I can't offer you you any advice as far as Kentucky Downs goes. It's fun to watch. I love it. How unique it is and how different it is. It looks a lot like what you see over in Europe with their sort of, you know, odd configurations on grass. But as far as trying to pick a winner, I, I could not be farther from the right person to be asking far as opinions of that are concerned the only thing i know is that the kentucky downs form did very well at keeneland this year and i I can't help but think a lot of it has to do with sort of the stamina that those horses build running over that kentucky downs track where it's just an undulating turf course and the distances are a little bit quirky and it's just it's one of those things i think at least file it away for next fall because obviously at this point with the keeneland meeting wrapped up and we won't go back until friday and saturday the breeders cup next week it's it's one of those things where all right maybe we can't do anything with it right now, but I think that's something that not enough people take advantage of or really, you know, it's one thing to be looking at it on a day-to-day basis and say, oh, okay, well, uh, speed is doing well here right now and all those sort of things. Factor in that, you know what, more often than not, horses coming from certain meets year to year, That kind of holds form. I mean, I know in the past the Kentucky Downs Horses have done well at Keeneland in the fall. So I really see no reason why that would change going into next fall's meeting. So those are the sort of things I think, obviously, folks want to... If you're trying to get a leg up, especially early on in a meeting, I think those are the sort of things that can certainly help your cause. We, we talk about the Breeders' Cup. It's only just, you know, at this point, a week and a half away, maybe a little bit more than that, depending on when folks are listening. Um, do you have any real sort of or thoughts about the Breeders' Cup this year? Obviously, it's unfortunate as far as the fan situation is concerned. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have, is there a race in particular
1: you're looking forward to most? Um, I really am excited about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, just because I was a fan of Jackie's Warrior when, like, before the Champagne and stuff. And it's just kind of cool when you have a horse that, I, you know, you pick at the beginning, and he's continued to do pretty well. So, I'm really a fan of Jackie's Warrior. That's probably the one that I'm most excited about. And Tis the Law, I'm a pretty big Tis the Law fan, so I'm hoping that he can kind of rebound for a big race in the Classic as well.
0: I'm I'm very guilty of that sort of thing where when you see a horse whether it's a debut or very early on. And, and I mean, look, I, I am guilty of it with a horse like She Dares the Devil, where and there have been other ones, but you see them early on, you go, there's something here. I like this horse. Yeah. I'm gonna just ride ride or die with this horse. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. I'm going down with the ship. If it doesn't work, or we're gonna just go out in a blaze of glory. So I, I, can, exactly. I can certainly understand where you're coming from with Jackie's Warrior, and he's been brilliant in basically every one of his starts thus far. We'll find out how the two turns works out at Keeneland in just a short time here. And you brought up "tis the Law. You know, uh, PTF and I were talking about it last week in Horse Player Happy Hour. We'll have one more coming up this Friday leading into the Breeders' Cup. But um, he's the kind of horse that it feels like people have just... It's its as if he ran a terrible race in the Derby. And I, I mean, he... Yeah, he, Yeah, I agree. It doesn't make sense. He ran a game yeah. game second to a horse who came back four weeks later and nearly won the Preakness. He got beat by a really nice horse in Swiss Skydiver. That was authentic, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say Swiss Skydiver is my other horse just because I loved her in the Preakness. Just the filly going against the girls kind of thing. But yeah, I'm a huge Swiss Skydiver fan as well.
0: And it'll be fascinating to see ultimately where Kenny McPeak and company choose to go with her if they do go against the boys in the Classic at a distance that they tend to believe is better for her than the mile and an eighth? Or do you take on a horse like Monomoy Girl and the Distaff mm-hmm. and a mile and an eighth? We'll find out. There's still plenty of time. I know it doesn't seem like yeah. there's plenty of time, but there is plenty of time for the connections to decide what they want to do. Trish, let's talk about this race a little bit here. Race number nine on Friday, for those of you playing mm-hmm. along, that is the Friday feature. Um We have the very early past performances, so we don't have post positions. The only thing I will throw out there is that high regard and final cut the two Vicki Oliver horses they are a coupled entry um so do with that what you will but we don't have numbers yet as far as odds are concerned and things like that so we're gonna just kind of talk about this more from a from an overview standpoint but i know you had brought up something before we came on and started recording about about the morning line odds tell uh, walk me through yes. that a little bit
1: Yes. Well, I didn't realize that I was so reliant on them until you sent me the email. And then I realized like the first thing I was trying to go and I didn't even realize that I had this tendency, but I'm like, oh, I look at the morning light odds to see what even odds I I like, because especially I'm not a big time player. So it's really important to find long shots. I'm not just going to hit the all button on a race to kind of, figure out what odds I even like to make any money at all. And I was just, I kept wanting to look at the odds and then the class. And I realized that that seems to be my trend. I would just get on Twin Inspires in the morning. I would look at the morning line odds for the horse and then I would go to the class and then the speed. Uh, and that kind of seems to be my trend. And I didn't even realize I had that trend until I was trying to look at this race. And I was like, I have no clue. Like i There's some horses I'm like, would this horse be a price in here? Maybe it would be, but I honestly had no idea.
0: Well, and that's one of those things with, with more time and more seasoning, as far as sort of going, doing the deep dive into the handicapping aspect. When you, you know, if you're someone who gets the PP's day of, it's one thing where you can just kind of roll with it on the fly for other folks who want to do, you know, crazy deep amount of work into it. That becomes one of those things to your point where when you first see those odds, it's a very difficult thing to just completely ignore them and not let that sort yeah. of skew your opinion yeah. because then you look at it and say, Oh, well, okay, I don't really want to take this horse at two to one. Let me look at a horse who's eight to one or 10 to one in the morning line, only to find out then day of that eight or 10 to one in the morning line, everybody and their brother is on the horse and the horse is now seven to two yeah. or four to one. So it's one of those things. And for, for folks who still are, I don't want to say, again, we're all a little bit skewed when we see morning lines and things like that, but there's something you can do in in the product that Daily Racing Form has called Formulator. You can toggle out, I believe anyway, that's how it used to be when I still worked there, but you can toggle out the morning line odds, either have them showing or not showing. And I think it is a good exercise to at least try to get comfortable with that sort of thing where you're going through sort of assessing the horse just purely on the past performances and the mm-hmm. pace and the class and things like that, as opposed to sort of that, sort of that preconceived notion of, well, okay, well, this horse is going to be the favorite. I don't really want them, or this horse is going to yeah. be twenty to one. Because in reality, we don't. The morning line is only as good as the person making the morning line is, frankly, and some are better than others. And I think that's what can occasionally steer us in in unfavorable directions, right or wrong, for better or for worse as opposed to when you look at things just sort of bare bones and say, you know what, I want to be the one to make the decision on what I think of these certain horses and then try to price it out accordingly. You kind of alluded to the things that you look at. You use pace, you use speed figures uh, over on on an ADW like Twin Spires. I know other ADWs have their sort of information as well. From From a pace standpoint how do you typically go about it? Do you just look at it and say as simple as whoever has sort of the fastest early numbers is who I'm going to kind of lean toward or do you look at anything deeper than that?
1: Well, for that, for the pace, usually, actually, I I like to listen to shows, so I know ahead of time, like DRF, if somebody says a horse is a pace, so I go into that kind of having that preconceived notion, so I know what I'm looking for, because like I said, I just started handicapping, Mm -hmm. Oaks was my first, so I'm just trying to kind of figure out what type of handicapper I am, I guess, if that makes sense, trying to track my own performance to see, okay, these are things that I'm pretty good at, trying to figure out if I'm better at turf, better at the dirt, trying to keep track of all my own stats, And so far for pace, I actually found it more beneficial to look at the race replays as well. So that's kind of been my biggest thing, race replays and knowing what I'm going to be looking for based on what other people have said about the horse and then just trying to watch the race replay the morning of. I
0: think what you kind of just laid out is something that's really important for anyone who, whether you're brand new babe in the woods or you are someone who is still on the beginner side of things, you know you got to kind of figure out what your sweet spot is. You know, are you someone who is really, really, you know, astute at identifying, you know, there's three or four horses who in their past races all like to go to the front, but this one of the four is actually the fastest of them all, and they're going to make the front. That's not an easy thing to do. Some people are better at it than others. And conversely, some people are better at looking at races, and I'll just use turf as the example because this is typically what you see in turf races. Some people are better at identifying, okay, you know what? There's a number of horses who like to come from the back, but who's really the one that's got the kick that can run down someone who has a little bit better positional mm-hmm. speed? So I think you bring up a really good point. You need to sort of don't just immediately dive into different things. Sort of you got to have that feeling out process. You got to figure out where, yeah. where your strengths and weaknesses lie. We all have them. Um, I've, I sound like a broken record. If I never needed to play a turf sprint ever again, I wouldn't. Um, it's just not something I'm very good at. Whereas I know many people, that's one of the sort of, that's their forte. So everybody's Mm. got their own different piece. Um, with the pace of a race like this race, nine at Churchill downs on Friday, what was your initial thought going through?
1: Um, my initial thought trying to think, I think there was, was it final cut or high regard? I need to
0: So High Regard is a horse who she's kind of one that wants to come from a little bit farther off of it. Final Cut is the horse who has that proper sort of early speed. And I would imagine if if they both go, I'd imagine that horse is forward. Okay. Okay, yeah.
1: Because I, when I was looking, I was trying to solve it into that too, and I was like, okay, without the video, I'm like, it's. I was a little bit lost for that. I mean, the the base thing multiplier, I kept coming back to, and once again, because I could find, I, I remember watching him, the the Stephen Foster, I was familiar with him, um, and I mean, he ran fourth, so I mean, not bad. I mean, Tom's Tom State Todd, considering the field yep. and everything, so that was kind of the horse that I kept coming back to. But as far as pace, I think. Uh, final cut from what I've seen so far.
0: I agree. I think final cut is going to be forwardly placed in this spot. Also, it, it's fascinating to me that the uh, the Oliver entry, it, it's two fillies taking on the boys, yeah. specifically older boys for the most part in this race. Uh, the other horse that I would throw in there as far as one that's likely to be forward is a horse like Celtic Striker for Ray Handel coming in from New York. Okay. Now, Celtic Striker is an interesting sort of case study because especially for... For newer players, you take a look at a horse like this, you see he's three for nine lifetime. Yes, he's a three-year-old, he's taken on some older horses, but as good as he is, and I'm intrigued by him in this race, but his three victories have all come when he's been able to get out there all by himself and control things. And Mm -hmm. there are certain horses who that is the only way they'll succeed, is when they have everything just kind of gift-wrapped for them, as opposed to some other horses who have shown the ability to sit off of a target, or rally from off of it, or basically just be able to overcome some sort of adversity. I'm not convinced that we're there yet with this horse, Celtic Striker, and that's what at least, that's what concerns me enough about him. And I, I don't know what kind of price he's going to be, frankly. Some of his speed figures yeah. are pale in comparison to some of the other older horses in here, but he he's interesting because of his speed, but he's also, to me, vulnerable because he's never shown any sort of versatility. And that's, I would just yeah. strongly encourage folks, especially newer players, don't automatically think, oh, this horse is going to go to the front; they're going to be fine. It doesn't doesn't always work out that way, um, unfortunately. Now, yeah. you you brought up multiplier. Multiplier is mm-hmm. the kind of horse to me. I was familiar with him going way way back when, you know, he was on the sort of the Triple Crown trail. He ran in the Preakness. He ran in the Belmont. When they moved him over to the turf, I thought it was an interesting move, kind of peculiar, because I thought he had actually run some good races on dirt. Leading into that, mm-hmm. he had sort of the middle portion of his career campaigned on turf, especially when he was on the East Coast with Bill Mott's barn. Then Peter Miller gets a hold of him again. They go right back to the dirt. And that most recent start in the Car- Charlestown Classic, for, for those who may not know, uh, Charlestown is a very peculiar sort of configuration because it's a bull ring; It is not a full-size oval like you would see at Saratoga or you would see at Churchill Downs or Keeneland or anywhere else. They go three turns in that race at a mile and an eighth as opposed to two. So I don't want to hold that race against him. And to your point, prior to that, you've got a pretty solid effort. Uh, defeated eight lengths, but he finished fourth behind Tom's D'Etat yeah. and By My Standards, who are going to be two of the top six choices in the Breeders' Cup Classic. So I can totally mm. understand why you like Multiplier.
1: Yeah. Yeah, kind of the running well against others, I guess, because Stunning Sky, that's kind of how I landed on you when you made that comment. And then from there, I went back, I looked at her video, and I'm like, yeah, she, she's been running well against, you know, kind of the competition that she's been facing. And and also Tyler Glafleone, he's been pretty good to me for Keeneland as far as making money. So, so far, I don't really want to get off a jockey. I'm not strictly just looking at the jockey, but... It, it definitely helps when they've kind of been kind to you in the past. So
0: it, It's also nice, too, when you see riders take that step forward where they've always yeah. shown promise. But then all of a sudden, it, and it just kind of organically happens. And I feel like this year, not that Tyler was was ever struggling, but he always had the, the potential, the potential. And I feel like this year, he really took that step forward where he is now in that sort oh, yeah. of top echelon. rider not just in Kentucky but in the United States that includes the the folks in New York and the folks in Southern California if I'm looking for another horse in here who well you know what I'm not even gonna say another horse another race that to me is polarizing that I have a very difficult time making heads or tails of you have a couple horses coming out of a non-winners of three other than and now that's the condition of this race on Friday as well You have a few horses coming out of a non-winners of three other than at Keeneland on October 4th. Now, from a speed figure standpoint, specifically Timeform US, those are speed figures that I know and trust. Craig Milkowski is the uh, head figure maker over there. They awarded that race an incredibly fast speed figure. And not only are we talking about these horses, but but Nick's Go, the winner that day, who went off and won by a hundred, and he basically broke every record that there was. He broke the track record, he did X, Y, and Z. He is now likely to be one of the favorites for the Breeders' Cup dirt mile. So this is going to be, in my opinion anyway, a very important race for the folks who are interested in Nick's Go for the Breeders' Cup. Because if yeah. those horses come out of if they run well here. That bodes well, I think, for a horse like GO, if you're trying to project him as a likely sort of win candidate for the dirt mile. If they come out of that race on Friday here and they bomb, then maybe you want to look at that race uh, at a second or third time through. And that's what makes me have a really difficult time here as far as Casino Star is concerned at Royal Mesa. They were no match for Nixco. but. On paper, there are no Knicks goes in this race. There are no horses capable of running a race like that. The question is, is the race really that legitimate from the numbers standpoint? I'm not willing to say yes or no just yet. I just don't know that I'd be betting on either of those horses at the prices they're likely to be. One other horse that we can talk about and just bring up is Silver Prospector for Steve Asmussen because this is a horse that folks who were paying attention to the Triple Crown earlier this year, sort of in the midst and pre-pandemic, He was a name down in Arkansas in that trail through the Arkansas Derby. He actually won the Southwest Stakes, did so pretty impressively. Uh, Then he came back and ran poorly in the Rebel in the Arkansas Derby. They've given him some time here. He shows up here off of a bit of a layoff. Three-year-olds this time of year, I firmly believe that they can take a step forward here. You get that physical Mm -hmm. maturation. You know, think of... Think of the the college athlete. You know, you show up as a freshman. That's what we we're dealing with there early on in the three year old campaign. Now they've had some time. Now they're juniors in college. Now they're a little bit a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. They can go out there and do some different things. I'm just concerned about the running style. What are we going to get first time off the bench against older horses? But Silver Prospector has has every right to run well in a spot like this. I just fear he's going to be a bit of a short price. Did you have any feel on a mm-hmm. horse like Silver Prospector?
1: Um, he was one of the ones I was bringing up for Exacta. I was thinking, I kind of just kept coming up like Silver Prospector and Multiplier for an Exacta. maybe Royal Mesa and a tri- Trifecta because I thought the Royal Mesa would be a price, but if I'm totally off on that, because I really couldn't, when I was trying to figure out what horse would be the favorite, I really couldn't find, <laughs> find anything that I, I knew for certain, so.
0: And then that's always, again, even... Even when you feel like you've got a good idea of, oh, well, this horse is going to be around this price, that sort of thing, you know, we, there's, we're only going off of what the paper says. And, and I'm saying yeah. this not in a nefarious way, but if, if the connections, especially if their ownership group, they like to bet and they think the horse is coming into it doing well and they drop a bunch of money on the horse to win... Well, all of a sudden, what I had thought would be a five-to-one price is going to be seven-to-two, and that kind of throws Mm, a monkey wrench into everything. So everyone's price, there's sort of a ripple effect there. So I agree with you. It's a difficult race to figure out who's going to get bet and what positions. I understand, though, the logic and the case for Multiplier, and ultimately, he's going to be where you go in this spot.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he is where I landed on.
0: Multiplier for Trish Smith in the ninth at Churchill Downs on Friday afternoon, a mile and an eighth on the main track. Nine winners of three other than. If you want to be in Trish's position, not next week, but the following week after the Breeders' Cup for that week's Friday feature, you got to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. I won't take it anywhere else. Not on Twitter, not on email. It's got to be beneath the video player on YouTube. Trish Smith, thank you so much for doing this. I hope you had a good time. I thought this was great. I hope everybody can kind of gain something, especially the folks who may be a little bit on the newer side of things. Um, are you on social media at all?
1: Um, Yes, I actually just started a Twitter today. It's at Oakley Jeter. So, and I might do some breeder, Breeders' Cup picks. So. Perfect.
0: Awesome. Everybody go on over there. Give Trish a follow. Trish Smith, thank you so much. Good luck this week and good luck in the Breeders' Cup. We'll talk again soon.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a great day.
0: All right, thank you to Trish Smith for the help with this week's Friday feature. Again, if you want to be in Trish's position next time we do the Friday feature, which will not be next week, it'll be the following week, the Monday after the Breeders' Cup, you need to leave your selection for Churchill's Ninth beneath the video player on YouTube. If you are the winner, I will contact you, and we will schedule a time for you to hop on the show and chop up some racing. Until then, and to wrap things up here for this episode, Again, I don't know if this is going to be something that people find worthwhile or not. I thought it was interesting, and I think there is something here. Maybe not for all the divisions, but enough that maybe you want to factor into your handicapping and your planning when looking at the Breeders' Cup next weekend. I've gone through and pulled the—well, I say pulled. I just put together the winners, the most recent track they ran at, their off-odds, and where they were positioned very similar to the track profile situation for the last 10 breeders cups now the, the juvenile turf sprint i have that one here I, I you know i don't put much credence into that simply because when this one was off the turf i didn't i stopped looking for these other ones they're two year olds sprinting on turf i think it's just a bit of a random race it's not one that frankly i'm going to have a ton of cash involved in i don't believe anyway um, so i just wanted to focus more on the other races that i think are are you know there's perhaps more signal there and i recognize some of them are two-year-old races but you know uh, unique circumstances or instances present unique opportunities so here we go gonna start off with the juvenile phillies turf uh the four juvenile races are lined up obviously based on the way things have gone with future stars friday okay so we'll see all four of these races run at keeneland on friday afternoon and then the remainder of them will be run on saturday you can see these are the 10 most recent winners of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. Uh, and this is a, I'll tell you what, there some of these races, when I went through them, there some of them seem a little lackluster as far as going back in the record books. Others hold up quite well. I think this is one of them. I think this is a race that has done very, very well for itself. Uh, you take a look at all of the last realistically let's say what last six years going back to lady eli but you can go even farther back than that with a horse like stephanie's kitten who her, her name will pop up again talking about the philly and mare turf i mean this has been a very productive race very strong race you have had many many talented quality phillies go on and do bigger and better things in time so don't sleep on this race being a, a sort of harbinger of things to come i found it interesting though i don't know that i would say there's any massive you know, data to pull from this other than here at the second call. Now, again, keep in mind, these races, I believe, are at a mile on the grass. So first call for the route races is at a half mile. Second call is at three quarters. It seems pretty evident to me that you need to be in good position, basically turning for home, because it's effectively where the three-quarter mark in these races is going to be. Um I think it's an interesting piece to consider to keep in the back of your mind when you think of some of these other horses uh, the, the name that jumps out to me this year anyway is a horse like aunt pearl i mean she has she has a running style very similar to this philly right here newspaper of record um you know she's yet to show that she can sit off of a target but brad cox doesn't seem to think that that's going to be any sort of an issue you've got a very similar run here with catch a glimpse this race happened to be at keeneland when she won the breeders cup juvenile phillies turf so Maybe you want to factor in something like this, you know, that you basically need to be within a length and a half or so at the top of the lane to have any real chance uh, based on the 10 most recent runs. And again, this doesn't account for troubled trips and things like that, but I think it is at least something to consider. Uh, Something else that I found interesting is taking a look and seeing where these horses came from in their most recent runs. You see effectively the same names pop up over and over again. Woodbine shows up twice on here, Belmont Park three times, Keeneland twice. Um, And then if you want to just sort of lump the Euros together, let's say Longchamp and Newmarket, and then sharing happened to be the anomaly based on that sort of thing. So you'll see, I think there's some intriguing that maybe I didn't necessarily anticipate, but I think much of it sort of jives with some of these divisions and where some of these horses come from. So there you have it. And the beautiful thing, especially if you're over on YouTube, I think this is going to be one of those where if you've listened to most of it on your your you know Apple podcast or whatever, maybe you want to transition over to YouTube because you can just pause it on the chart and you can take a look and do with it what you will. So that's what I've got for the Juvenile Phillies Turf. The Juvenile Turf for the boys, uh, I found the running style piece to be very interesting sort of comparing it to the girls. For the last 10 years, you take a look at the uh, – the, the odds piece in this race specifically, I think, is interesting. I think there is something here where you're looking for that sort of sweet spot between three and a half and ten to one, more or less. Um, you don't have any wild results, but you don't have necessarily the chalk of the chalk winning. You know, compare the first and second call average for the boys, 5.3 lengths and 4.1 lengths, compared to the girls, three lengths and 1.7 lengths, it's a pretty dramatic difference. And I find it interesting, and I'll show you in a moment, that more or less meshes with the boys and girls on dirt as well. The girls tend to be much more forwardly placed, at least on on sort of the whole, on the collective, than the boys do as far as the winners are concerned. Now, again, you can nitpick certain pieces in this. You can say, oh, well, that's entirely up to you. However you want to approach it, That's uh, you know, that's your prerogative. I'm just showing you what I pulled from the last 10. Um, I find it fascinating that with the boys, you have four instances where their most recent run came at Newmarket. You have a Deauville, a Dundalk, and a Shanti. So, what, seven of the the ten runnings uh, going back to 2010, the horses have come from overseas. I'm not going to, I get it, Woodbine is technically not the United States. It's from Canada. But, I mean, seven of the ten coming from Europe, I think, is is worth noting. Structor and Oscar performance coming from Belmont Park. You know, Belmont's a name you're going to see pop up here quite frequently, which I, I, I shouldn't be as surprised as I was. But it, it struck me how often, how frequently Belmont Park showed up. Um, but now compare this to the girls. And the girls, you only had two European winners. Now, also... To be fair, this has been a race that has been absolutely dominated by, who else, Chad Brown. Lady Eli, new money honey, rushing fall, newspaper record. He's got four of the the, the ten. It'll be just interesting to see, and again, comparing the positions where the girls are compared to the boys, in that it seems like the boys from Europe tend to have a little bit of an advantage. I don't know why. I don't know if there's any rationale to that, and given their sort of running styles, I I just found it interesting to sort of compare and contrast those two. Moving to the dirt, and as I said, you see sort of parallels with the girls on dirt or turf, and you see parallels with the boys on dirt or turf. The girls on dirt, this is one where I think there is some some real signal here. I think you need to be looking at it saying, the British idioms in the Caledonia roads of the world are maybe less they I think they're more exceptions to the rule than the rule. I think the rule is much more in line with the Jaywalks, the Champagne Rooms, the Songbirds, the Take Chart Brandy. I used for this piece here, <clears throat> excuse me. I used she's a tiger's numbers, not Rhea Antonia's Rhea Antonia was put up via disqualification. She's a tiger crossed the wire first, so I used her information here. Uh, beholder. My Miss Aurelia, awesome feather. They were all very close to the front. When you go through and total it all, at first call, again, so in a mile and 16th race, half mile into it, at, on average, they're a length off of it. And three quarters into the race, they're, on average, 0.1 lengths, a nose off the lead. That, to me, there's something there. I th- I think that's a... I think you have enough of a sample size on a number of different racing surfaces. Tracks that I don't think many people would say are, are apples to apples. You've got Del Mar in here. You've got Santa Anita. You've got Churchill. You've got Keeneland. You have very, very dramatically different surfaces. You know, it's not like we're talking about, you know, and I get it. You're talking about the two Kentucky tracks and the two Southern California tracks. My point is they're all producing very similar pieces. Oddly enough, the two that came from well off of it, Caledonia Road was at Del Mar and British Idiom was at Santa Anita. Jaywalk was at, at Churchill. Champagne Room was out at Santa Anita. Songbird was at Keeneland. Take Charge Brandy was at Santa Anita. I mean, you, you've got a little bit of everything mixed in here. The, the constant is you have horses who are very close to the front end. And that includes prices. I mean, if you go back, uh, to 2014 you have three instances of 17 to 1 or greater winning this race and on average more than 13 and a half to 1 for the past 10 years compare it to the boys really keep note of these two numbers right here where the girls are in relation to their points of call and the boys now the boys obviously they tighten things up turn them for home but it, it's showing here and maybe this one from new year's day the 8.1 and the 6.1 is skewing it slightly So even if I wanted to omit these two, let me pull these out of the data set. Is there an 11 in here too? What did I miss? Oh, there is. Texas Red. Now, Texas Red, to be fair, that race was a complete pace meltdown. And I don't want to pull both of those out because we've seen two-year-old races really come apart. But the point is, to me, I think there is much more of an onus on being very close to the front with the girls than with the boys in both races. That's just my opinion, my observations. Uh, let me know what you think. We need the video player on YouTube for any of those because I'm, I'm curious. I want to know if, if any of you are seeing things or something is sort of coming to your eye that I'm just not picking up on where, you know, maybe others do. Again, this whole thing is just to try to help each other out here as we get closer to the World Championships. Now we pivot to Friday, excuse me, to Saturday. And the the first race that came to my mind that I was interested in seeing what did the numbers look like for the past ten years? Was the Philly and Mare Sprint? Because just maybe it was a preconceived notion or thought that there was chaos in that race. Uh, the data would tend to back it up, um, particularly in recent memory. I mean, going back to Waville Avenue, you've got Kafefi at, at you know seven or eight to five last year, but outside of that, your shortest price was eight and a half to one. That was Finest City at Delmar excuse me at santa anita so you've had a number of instances where horses at big prices fire you have a number of instances where horses win from well off of it or up there on the lead so i feel like this is a pretty fair race depending on how the pace plays out this has been a fascinating piece and jim goodman who uh is the director i believe of i don't know uh, director of mutuals down at keeneland one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet one of the best in the business he had tweeted something when I said after the Raven run, when Venetian Harbor won, I had said, you know, I, at, f- at first blush, I, I can't imagine this race really having an effect or, or, or being a, a race that is going to have implications for the Breeders' Cup. And Jim said, you know, we've, we've had a pretty good track record in, in, the, in the Philly and Mare sprint. And take a look at this. I mean, he's not lying. You've got six instances where the winner's most recent run was at Keeneland. I recognize two of those were groupie doll. But you've got prices. All of the horses who came from Keeneland were giant numbers, with the exception of Dubai Majesty, and she was still you know, 8.5 to 1. Musical Romance was 20 to 1. Bar of Gold was 66.5 to 1. Shamrock Rose was 25, 26 to 1. So it, it's there may be something there. you got a couple of winners in their most recent runs at Del Mar. Got a Belmont and a Churchill sort of sprinkled in there. But this is a race to me, if, if if whatever the pace situation is, fast, slow, whatever, if you think your horse is going to get a fair shake of it, this to me is one of the more A, wide open races, but also B, fair races, given where these horses have been positioned and where they come from. Um, I, my gut says that the pace in these filly and Mare sprints ends up being very, very swift. Um, but... And maybe the seven eights plays into the whole thing. But I think this is a race where if you like, you know, I'm just going to throw a name out there. If you like Gamine and you think she's going to be able to be up on or near the lead, maybe it is fast, but you think she's going to be able to sort of put away a Serengeti Empress and put away anybody else that's up there, she should have a chance. And if you're like me looking for this thing to come apart and you like a horse rallying from well off of it, then you know what? you if the horse is good enough you should have a chance i think this is one of the more fun random races of the weekend just year in and year out the turf sprint i've talked about it ad nauseum. i don't have any real feel for these jk was the one that tipped me off to the idea of just take the speed and i think on a day-to-day basis that's the smart way to do it Um, the breeders cup may be a little bit of an anomaly simply because you've got the best of the best this is also going to be a little bit of an anomaly too, this, this data, because you have races at Santa Anita going six and a half down the hill, which I don't think – I mean, we're, if you talk about apples to oranges, we're talking apples to, to watermelons. They're just not the same, in my opinion, going down the hill six and a half to a five or five and a half for a long turf sprint. So to me, this, this data set is not really – I'm not pulling a ton out of it. I highlighted Mongolian Saturday in orange – because, and I, you'll see this a couple of the times show up in these next tabs, the, his final prep was at Keeneland and he won at Keeneland, the Breeders' Cup. So, and I think there was something there. I wanted to see how many horses who prepped at Keeneland came back and won at Keeneland. I believe the total was three. Maybe something to factor into your final handicapping as you go through and we get closer and closer to next weekend. But um, all in all, You know, speed does very well in these races, but you have had horses who have rallied from well off of it. Again, I don't think this is a great set of data, though, simply because the six and a half down the hill is a little bit of a wonky piece for me. So I, I don't, I'm not pulling a ton from this data set because I just, I'm not convinced that it's that there's a ton of signal here. The dirt mile, I thought, was an interesting run through because you have had just as many horses on or near the lead as you have horses rallying from well off of it, but it needs to be stated that these two, in 2010 and 2011, the horses who rallied from well off of it, they were in one-turn races at Churchill Downs. Um, If I filtered those horses out, the 9.5 and the 12 and 12.3, all of a sudden, I mean, it it changes pretty dramatically where you need to be positioned on the track at a mile, going two turns. I get it. There was another Churchill mixed in here. Um, But the, the point is, these are races where horses are up there, forwardly placed on the lead. And this one here, 2015, in reality, that kind of is... The 3.1 lengths that Liam's map was off was simply because of trip. It wasn't because he didn't want to be there. He could have very easily been out there on the chooch at that point. And this number, this minus half length, meaning a half length in front at the second call, which would be three quarters of a mile, that could have been even shorter. It could have been even more than that, minus 0.7, minus 0.8. So, I I think to me the moral is two turns you're better being close than you are coming from off of it and it brings up a horse like uh, I chatted with Trish Smith about in the Friday feature Nick's go he's a fascinating case because that number is off the charts fast and if he can get out there to a comfortable lead it's going to be really difficult to run him down that was also his first race off of what a, a year layoff does he does he you know does he bounce out of that does it, you know there's so many things to dissect from that, but what you do know is he has a running style that is conducive to performing well in a race like this. As I take the filter out of here. So that's what I'm looking at for the dirt mile. Philly turf. In the grand scheme of things, I would say a pretty fair race. You, you have some favorites mixed in with some prices. You have many different running styles sort of sprinkled in there. The one thing I would say You don't have a ton of horses that are pushing the pace or on the lead with the exception of Day at the Spa, keeping in mind that race starts going down the hill at Santa Anita the year that she won. If I'm looking for any sort of signal to where these horses come from, you know, you've got a couple of Belmont final prep runners, uh, but for the most part, I think it's a pretty fair run. Uh, It has been dominated by Europeans over the past handful of years. Uh, going back to Queen's Trust, and I, I'm including Sister Charlie in that, recognizing that Chad had her, but at one point, she I mean, she started her career over in Europe, so with the exception of Chad, and that's really kind of the key to this thing, let's go back to Perfect Sheryl, who was Perfect Was Perfect Sheryl Roger Atfield, so I mean, back to 2011, Zagora, 2012, Chad, Dank, European, Day at the Spa, Chad, uh, Stephanie's getting Chad, Queen's Trust, European, Wuhita, European sister Charlie Chad iridesa European I mean you're seeing a little bit of a a trend there no surprise it's not a shocker if it's not Chad for our American contingent it's it's probably a European horse Uh, but as far as running styles and things and prices I think it's a pretty fair race I think you find who you think is best you should have a chance the sprint I think there is major signal here based on running style again you'll note the colored Shaded bar with Run Happy, he won the Phoenix prior to winning the Breeders' Cup Sprint at Keeneland, Uh, but again, the running style, and this jives very well with the track profile I did of Keeneland a few weeks ago. You can find that episode up there. I don't remember if it was 35 or 36, one of the two, but six furlong races on the main track, no surprise. You know, I've had people ask, why do you pick so much speed? Speed is king. It's a lot easier to go out there and set the pace than it is to run somebody down. It just is. And I, I, you don't have to have the lead, but you you better be damn close to it. Or, if you're not, it needs to be an outrageous pace situation. And even then, you're still behind the eight ball if you're trying to rally from off of it. You need to have exceptional talent like a Matoli, like an Amazombi. Amazombi was a really good racehorse. I, I feel like people forget about him. But you take a look at some of the other running styles here. Trinneberg, he's up there on the on the chooch. Work all week. Run happy. Dreyfong. Roy H. Big drama. I mean, these are all horses who are going to be forward. So factor that into your handicapping. And again, it's I think it's even more telling when it jives with the track profile. This set right here, very much in line with six furlongs on the main track at Keeneland. The mile. This, to me, was like a mixed bag. Because you've got some, really, you've got some all-timers. You've got the Wise Dans, the Golda Kovas popping up on this list. The Teppens. Then you've got Expert Eye, who's nice. Tourist, nice horse. is a good horse, but, you know, I don't think people are going to think of him as a superstar. Court Vision was a million to one. So... I think this is one that can be a little bit all over the place. There is to me a and, and again it's it's slightly skewed because because two of them happen to be the same horse. You see a lot of Keeneland show up there. Uni Keeneland. Torres, Keeneland. Teppin Keeneland. Why is Dan Keenland? Why is Dan Keeneland? Got a couple of woodbines mixed in there. And I can't help but think the And again, the shaded piece here, Tepin, she won in her final prep leading into the Breeders' Cup. They were both at Keeneland. I can't help but think, you've got Longchamp on there twice as well. That's where all, by the way, all of the 10 most recent Breeders' Cup mile winners have had their final prep at Keeneland, Longchamp, or Woodbine. Does that mean anything? I have no idea. But... Is is it a fun fact? I think it is. I think it's something to keep in mind. Also keep in mind too off the top of my head and I, I recognize some people probably would have preferred this and I thought about it. I got halfway through it and said I'm just gonna keep going this way. I'm trying to remember how many of these were victories. Um I believe in their final preps. UNI's was was a win. Expert I, I do not remember. Uh, world Approval was uh tourist was not i don't believe teppan was i have no idea about karakanti uh wise dan one of them was one of them was a loss the loss was washed off onto the synth so i don't really hold that against some court vision i i could not tell you and, and golden i would say probably was a win but um just again interesting tidbits here you've got a mixed bag of running styles prices you got a couple of bombers in there but you know do with that what you will. I think that's an interesting group. The distaff, running style wise, you know, you can you can rally from off of it a little bit. I found that to be the most intriguing piece. This was not a race. It felt like anyway, that was dominated by horses who were up there on the front end, as opposed to what we saw or what we were looking at anyway with like the two-year-old girls on dirt, where the, those races are are really really, it's top heavy with speed. At least for the past ten years, doesn't mean any by the way, everything I'm saying right now could go completely out the window this year. But I think you've got, you've got trends, you've got things. And, and if you say that this is all garbage, that's fine. I think it's just maybe some things to consider price wise. You have not had a double digit winner of the distaff in 10 years. And I shouldn't even say in 10 years, the past 10 years, I don't know when the last double digit winner of the distaff was, um, Running style, you've got horses who have some, I would call it, tactical positional speed. You don't have burners in there per se, but you also don't have true one-run closers. The closest to that was Blue Prize, and that was a race last year in the distaff that featured a pretty swift pace with Ollie's Candy. So interesting group here. Um, You know, you've got some, some big names, some big names. Royal Delta, Beholder, Untappable, Beholder again. This might be the most, fat. like, I, I forgot when I was going through. I was like, damn, she won the Distaff in 13, and then three years later won it again in 16. That's something. And in 15, she would have been the second choice in the Classic had she not got, uh, I, I think she was either sick or she was bleeding. So, fast in group. Oh, and I didn't even include Monomoy Girl in there, who she's trying for her second one coming up here in a few weeks, or uh, at this point, a few days. The Turf. This is a race that I think there is something that, is abundantly clear i you'll note that i don't have lengths in this uh, piece here for found because this was the year that shining copper went out and opened up by 25 and it would have just skewed everything so i did not even bother including it the common theme here to me it's abundantly clear unless you have a champion in bricks and mortar a wild card in Little Mike. And I guess if you wanted to call Main Sequence an American horse, although he started over in Europe, the Europeans nominate? Enable. Talismanic. Highland Real. Found. Magician. St. Nicholas Abbey. Dangerous Midge. I mean, you're dealing with proper Euros. And when they don't win, it's to a freak effort from a better than gets credit for horse and little mike or a champion in bricks and mortar i i just i i will be flummoxed if a european horse doesn't win this year based on what our our american horses look like so far as far as the turf is concerned price wise you can get a little bit of everything in there running style wise you get a little bit of everything in there um The turf is always one of my favorite races, even if it's not one that I'm betting on. I just, I love long-distance turf racing. It's my favorite to watch. I think it's much more tactical and strategic than what we see with just sort of the breakneck speed. And we get to the final race, the classic, the big one. If I had told you that, what is it? Seven of the last ten winners of the Breeders' Cup Classic, their final start came in New York what would you have said? And then if I even threw out the caveat that of the seven, three of them came at Saratoga. Never mind Belmont. I think everybody assumes, you know, Jockey Club Gold Cup, something like that. No. Three of them came at Saratoga. Two of them were the Travers. They were gay and American Pharaoh. What is this sort of plot telling me and showing me? Well, remember Blame's race When he had that duel with Zenyatta, the pace was unreal. I mean, anybody that was close, and they basically had separated into two packs. Anybody that was close to the front early on finished up the track. Drosselmeyer's race, if we're just being honest, was not a very good race. Uh, Fort Larned, he wins on the lead at Santa Anita in a great run with Mucho Macho Man. Mucho Macho Man gets his revenge next year in pace-pressing fashion. Uh, We all know what happened in the Byron Classic, but he wins in gate-to-wire fashion. Uh, Pharaoh goes to Keeneland and wins in gate-to-wire fashion. Uh, Arrowgate wins in, I'll call it stalking position because he was just off the pace. And then for a moment, it looked like he was going to get the slip and and lose and then, or get the slip on him. And then he just unleashed that that wild stretch run of his. Gunrunner, gate-to-wire fashion. Accelerate in one of the weaker classics that we've seen in recent memory in sort of a I guess you could call that a stalking position and then Vino Rosso in a again sort of a classic last year Uh, he wins from a little bit farther off to me it still is going to behoove you to be more forward than rallying from off of it especially given the way the two turns at Keeneland played this year and over the past five years, based on the data that we threw up there a couple of weeks back, um, what does that mean for certain horses? Does it Mean you can't win from a hundred out of it? No, obviously not. I mean, we've seen other horses do that, but I I just maintain you want to be probably closer than farther if you're looking for the winner of the Breeders' Cup Classic this year. So there you have it. I I hope this was. I hope someone can get something out of this. Uh, I thought it was an interesting walk down memory lane. I think there were. I think there is some stuff to take out of it. I, I you know I don't know that I'm going to be bankrolling specifically on something that I saw out of this stuff but I think if if nothing else it's a good supplement to your profile work and then couple that with the real proper important stuff the the nuts and bolts the form the uh the replays and the connections and things like that so hopefully this is something that everybody uh got something out of uh I really appreciate it for those of you actually I can probably just turn this uh camera around can't I hi there all right back here oh slate's gone who cares uh we're buttoning things up thank you for listening however you listen to this thing you've got apple podcasts you've got in the you've got your android device you've got a million different ways you've got youtube over on youtube search map Bernie your show uh you'll get this episode along with the 37 prior i want to thank trish smith again for being the guest for this week's friday feature again race number nine at churchill on friday if you want to be in her position not next monday the following monday and I say Monday, it might be Tuesday. I might need to amend that because I'll be, I don't know what time I get home on Sunday from Lexington. So we'll, we'll figure that out in time. Uh, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. However you listen, please rate, review, subscribe, bell icon lit up, thumbs up, thumbs down, leave comments, chop it up beneath the video player with other people, myself. Follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. I don't know if the, again, those of you, the 20 at the top, who are in the Breeders' Cup feature, need your one to two minute video clip of the favorite you like, the favorite you don't like, and a price by Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern. The email address is beneath the comment that I left over on last week's episode. Uh, And I think from a housekeeping standpoint, that's pretty much it. Uh, That episode will either be up next Monday or perhaps even earlier uh, given producer Craig's workload. So we'll figure that out in time. But those things need to be in. Uh, Friday we have a Horse players happy hour. It's basically your last ditch effort to try to get into the Breeders Cup betting challenge. Uh, join PTF and I and, and anybody else that's a guest that I don't know of just yet. Um, but and then over on RacingPicks.com, obviously the content continues for myself. Uh, I write throughout the week, do some videos, but also I've got a special video coming out with my buddy Mike Mutnansky from Sports Radio WEI in Boston, talking about the Breeders Cup, going over what all of you are going over for the Friday or these excuse me the Breeders Cup feature. Uh, talking about favorites we like, favorites we don't like, and maybe some prices in some of the Breeders' Cup World Championship races. This will probably be the last time I chat with or in podcast form with this audience, specifically the Matt Bernier Show's audience, uh, before the Breeders' Cup. I'll I'll have to record an intro and sort of a a sign-off for the uh, Breeders' Cup feature episode, but there's not going to be any kind of chat from me. But you'll be able to find my content all over the joint, whether it's part of the In the Money Network, uh, other podcasts out there, uh, and obviously NBC will be on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of Breeders' Cup week. I will be reminding you that uh, in next week's episode, we have betting the Breeders' Cup on Thursday with the whole crew, me, Edzo, Brittany, Lafitte, Nick, anybody else that shows up, I don't even know at this point. And then Friday and Saturday, we've got the World Championships from King of Racecourse in Lexington, Kentucky. Until next time, This has been episode 38 of the Matt Bernier Show. Good luck however you play, whatever you play.